0: I'm Lisa Stone, and you are listening to Season 8 of Parenting Aces. Welcome to Season 8 of Parenting Aces Podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Stone, and this week we are going to be talking college recruiting with Duke Women's Associate Coach Matt Manassi. Matt played college tennis himself at both USC and Purdue. He went to work for Babolat right out of school and then got into college coaching and is at his third gig since graduating from college. He has been at Duke since 2017 and came in as an assistant coach and then was named associate head coach just this past December. So, he is not that far out of college tennis himself as a player and has some really, really helpful information to share with all of us regarding recruiting, the questions that our kids need to be asking these coaches when they're talking to them about a spot on a college team, how to choose a school, what to look for on visits, how to transition from college to pros. I mean, we really touched on a variety of topics. so. Hopefully you guys will find this podcast episode super helpful as your own children are starting to think about college recruiting or perhaps are going through it right now. So for those of you who find the podcast helpful, who find the articles on ParentingAces.com helpful... We are donor-supported and appreciate every little donation, no matter how big or small. It really does make a difference. So if you are so inclined, you can go to ParentingAces.com, click on the Donate button on the top right of the page, and we thank you so much for your continued support. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's conversation with Coach Matt Manassi. Matt Manassi, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's We've been trying to get this going for a couple of weeks, so I'm glad we finally found a time that worked.
1: Yes, thanks for having me. I'm uh, excited to talk about everything tennis.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I always love to have my guests start out by giving the audience a little bit of background on your life yep. in tennis. So why don't you tell us about your junior and college years and how you got to be the associate women's coach at Duke.
1: Yeah, uh, I grew up in Erie, Pennsylvania, which is not uh, a tennis hotbed in, in the U.S. And when I was around 13, 14, I moved to Florida to Everett Academy. Um, so I, I did my high school there at uh, Boca Prep and did the junior, Florida junior tennis circuit um, until I was recruited to go to uh, USC my freshman year. Um, I did transfer from that. I know we talked about a little bit about that off-air. I transferred to, to uh, Purdue University uh, for my last three years. And um, upon graduation, I actually really wanted to be a tennis agent uh, and represent players. But uh, I, I ended up going to Babolat, where I worked for uh, two years as the uh, junior sponsorship coordinator and kind of got my feet wet in, in the manufacturing world and business world of tennis. Um, and then it hit me one, one, uh, one recruiting event where I went to is in Illinois, where I really missed kind of being on court and being on that end of the sport. And I got back into coaching where uh, I went to Wisconsin for a couple of years, then Oklahoma State, and uh, now here at Duke.
0: And on the women's side the whole time?
1: Yes, on the women's side the whole time.
0: Interesting. And so what drew you to the women's side of the game?
1: Um, well, growing up, I mean, in Erie, my first coach and my coach all through uh you know, until high school was a female coach, uh, Kelly Irvin Masler. Uh, I have two older sisters as well. So I kind of, I guess I've been, I, I've grown up, uh, around a lot of females and I've had a lot of strong female influences. So I, d- I didn't think coaching women would be anything different. Um, I was comfortable in that, in that realm. So, uh, and I, I was always a big believer with, at kind of staying, keeping your brand strong. You know, I went to USC, Went to Purdue, worked at Babolat. I, I didn't want to kind of go the mid-major route. I, uh, Wisconsin was a strong name, a strong brand, um, and it felt like a good opportunity to get into the game uh, in, in a Big Ten university, Power Five university. And, um, you know, I, I, I really liked uh, everything that Wisconsin stood for, so uh, it was a good place to start.
0: And talk about that time where you were making the decision to transfer after your freshman year, because <laughs> I think this is something that we don't talk about all that much in, in the realm of junior and college tennis, but transferring is a pretty common event that happens, uh, on both the men's and the women's side of the game.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think it's, first of all, it's not an easy, it's not an easy decision. It's not a, a thing to take lightly. I think when these kids are transferring, it's at the, uh, you know, I look back at it now and I was very stressed during those times and I laugh about it. I'm like, how could I have been so stressed? But when you're 18 years old and you're thinking about moving cross country after one year in college, first of all, it's a, a big deal. So um, but to get back to the, the main question, I think these kids need to really go into the recruiting process, knowing what their role is going to be when they get to university, where they're probably going to play in the lineup um really do their homework ask a lot of questions uh know the teammates that you're going to be on the team with um so that you know the full picture going into it i think you know looking back at it now i'm I'm 30 years old i can look at it with a little more clarity um you know you i was a little bit over my head at usc my, my freshman year at that time with where i was uh you know maturity wise and it was, it was something that was hard to handle and, and, you know, I would have done things a little bit differently. But at the same time, um, you know, I, I ended up transferring to Purdue and it was something that worked out well being, you know, on the East Coast, close to the family, um, somewhere where I could, you know, play a little bit more in the lineup. And uh, I think things, things worked out.
0: Yeah. And so you talk about asking questions during recruiting. And this is a topic that I've addressed, you know, a number of times in the podcast mm-hmm. and in and, and articles on parentingaces.com. But now that you're on the coaching side of it, what are some of the questions that you wish you had asked and that you're shocked that recruits aren't asking when they come to visit Duke?
1: I think, hmm, that's a good one. I mean, I wish kids would ask more, like, how hard it really is. <laughs> I mean, well, they don't know is the problem. And I think I think it's up to the coaches, honestly, to kind of educate the kids during this process and also their coaches and parents. Because um, I think a lot of kids come in, like, the recruiting process as a whole, the coaches are are telling everyone how great they are. and They're boosting their self-esteem because they're trying to get these kids to come to this program, and then they get there, and it's like, wow, I have to put in way more hard work than I did in juniors. I, the coach is going to be way more honest with me than, um, you know, my coach was in, in in junior tennis because, you know, now they're in charge as opposed to maybe some of these parents paying the coaches. Um, I just don't, I don't think, I don't think these kids get to know the coaches as well as they should. I mean, even the kids we recruit, sometimes it can be a pretty quick um, recruiting process and they fall in love with, with the school and the tennis program and, and all of this. But, you know, it is tough to get to know these kids as, as well as you'd like during during the recruiting process. It's just not going to, it's not going to happen as easy as it is when they're on campus and you're around them for 20 hours a week. Um, but I think it is up to the kids to try to do their homework the best they can and, and talk to current players on the team and say, you know, how does coach X, uh, how does he run practice? How does, how does he, he, uh, coach you guys Is it in a positive manner? Is it negative reinforcement? Um, what's the conditioning like? I mean, there, there's a lot of questions I think that these kids need to ask so that when they're there, there's no surprises. Um, because if they come in knowing what to expect, I think it's going to, it goes a long way to, to, kind of getting up to speed quickly.
0: When you made the decision to transfer to Purdue, was it an issue mainly of playing time or was it the intensity of the practices? Was it the intensity of the academics, although Purdue and USC, I guess, yeah. are pretty much on par academically? Yeah. Um, I mean, what was it that that made you feel like you were not in the right place?
1: I think it was just just playing time i mean i wanted to be at a program where i could contribute and get in the lineup and, and have my opportunities you know both in the fall and in the spring and and feel that i, I was a crucial member of the team and um i think i, I you know when i went to purdue there was uh, a new coach there or there tim madden was there uh he recruited me along with troy han who i had uh, known from junior tennis um he had been uh, coaching at Everett Academy actually for a little bit while he started his pro career. So it as a familiar face, someone who had seen me growing up, knew where I was from, you know, had coached me a little bit. So it was definitely a playing time. I, I think, you know, I, I wanted to play. I didn't want to just practice for four years. <laughs> so, and, and, uh, and had
0: you not asked that question or, I mean, how did you get there, you know, and not get to play? Like, what were the circumstances that led to that? I I just, I think it's important for people to understand, like, this stuff happens all the time.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, I didn't, I didn't have any, I mean, I didn't have any uh, family members that played uh, NCAA athletics, you know, like P1 college sports, anything. My sister dove at Johns Hopkins, but that's a a little bit different. And coming in, you know, I I was a recruited walk-on essentially at USC, but You know, I was on the same recruiting trip as Robert Farah. So in in my mind, I was like, okay, I'm, you know, I'm I'm getting paid for to go come out here on a recruiting trip. You know, Rob, obviously Rob had way better credentials going into it than I did. Um, But in my mind, you know, you're 17, 18 years old and, you know, you're thinking, okay, I'm going to come in. I'm going to be able to handle this. I'm going to be able to fight for my spot. And, um, you know, the the level was probably a little better than I thought for sure. But at the same time, I think, I mean, going in, I, I think coaches already have it in their mind also where you're going to play or where you're not going to play. And I think I played into it a little bit in terms of kind of how, how comfortable I felt there early on. Um, but yeah, it does happen. I just don't, I don't think, I think it's a coach's job as well. Like if, if we were to recruit a walk-on here at this point, I think it would be pretty clear and I'd tell them right away, look, you're coming in as a walk-on. It's going to be very hard to make the lineup here. You know, if, if, if you do well and you're, you're, you know, we're going to give you all the chances we can in the fall. And if you're beating, beating guys or beating girls, um, you're going to get these chances. But I think you have to be really upfront um, with the kids in the recruiting process. Otherwise, you know, if you have a certain expectation and theirs is different, you're obviously going to butt heads and it's not going to, be, be right for anyone.
0: Right. Do you remember what your fall was like freshman year? I mean in terms of fighting to get in the lineup?
1: Um I do, <laughs> I do. I mean I I just from I mean there there's there's various things I remember. I don't think not everyone played uh fall tournament. So we so the whole team was given the opportunity to play fall events. I played a couple like men's opens in the area and stuff like that, but um, you know other than you know, maybe a doubles event. I didn't play any singles events, um, like IPA singles events at all. Uh, it was just practice sets and all of that. So, um, it was a little bit different than let's say my next fall at Purdue where everyone on the team did play, um, a lot of different, different fall events.
0: Mm -hmm. And I think that's an important question for recruits to ask the college coach, you know, who goes to the fall events? Does everybody go If you know, how do you make that decision? What if I don't get to go? Am I still going to have a fighting chance of getting in the lineup? Right. And these are questions that as a 17 year old, it's hard to ask an adult these things. Right. I mean, yeah. I I I
1: I I mean, I was, I was naive to a lot of it. I just frankly didn't, I mean, I didn't know the level of, I didn't know what a top five team looked like. You know, I didn't know what, you know, top 300 players in the world look like and train on a regular basis, you know? And I think until you get in it, you don't really know, but it, it is definitely up to, you know, us as college coaches to educate these kids coming up the best we can because, you know, all these kids that we recruit, whether you're at Duke or USC or Purdue or, you know, uh, uh, mid major, anything, whatever, whatever kid you're recruiting for the most part, they're like, they're the, they're the big fish in their pond, you know, Mm -hmm. they're the, they're the best kid. And they, they come there not really knowing what to expect. And it's, it's, it's a, it's an individual sport. And then you get, you get there and now you're compared to teammates. You're, you don't, it's not your private coach anymore. You know, you have two coaches for eight kids and it's just uh, a different, different vibe for sure.
0: Right. Well, Matt, what what of those lessons that you learned from your own personal college tennis experience have you brought to the table now that you're on the other side as a coach?
1: Um, I mean, I just, I know the struggles that I had as a player. Um, I understand the moments of pressure, the moments of feeling overwhelmed. And, and I feel that I'm more... Able to help these girls through those moments, um, whether it's on court or off court. I I think I'm a very, I mean I I like to motivate from a positive standpoint, um, positive reinforcement, and I just feel that. I think a lot of these girls come in and and they have so much that they can improve upon, and I just feel that if they can see that and that they know that they can continue to improve over and over that they can get to a high level. And I think I see some other coaches that kind of put ceilings on players and, and you know, they can only be – they can only play four in our lineup. They can only play six. They're, you know, they're going to purely be a walk-on. And I just don't think that's fair. I think these uh, – if you really put your effort into these kids and, and show them that you care, that they can um, kind of surprise you and, and go a lot further than, than they think. If they can push through some barriers and and become tough that uh, you can have a, a happy and successful college experience.
0: So it sounds like you're the type of college coach that is committed to helping your players continue to improve during their time sure. with you at Duke. There aren't sure. I mean th- there are other coaches out there that feel like they just want to recruit finished products. They're not in right. the the tennis development space they want to just be in the compete and win
1: space (laughs) yeah i mean i think it's it's a it's a sorry to to cut you off there i mean i think it's a fine line i think you know at at duke we're obviously not uh i mean everyone's using utr now but uh (laughs) back in the tennis net days you know we're not going to recruit a four-star player and, and all of a sudden expect you know, that we're going to turn them into a blue chip. Obviously we are trying to recruit the best possible kids that have had the junior accolades and and have done stuff on the pro tour and and can do it, but there is still so much more once they get here. Um, I mean, we have, we have girls that are top 300 in the world on our team that that obviously aren't winning every match. and, And there's, and there's so much, so much they can improve upon to get to the next level. And I think, it, t- it takes a lot of work. Like we, the, the life of a college tennis coach isn't that glamorous. I mean, you're on court from eight in the morning till, you know, four or five in the afternoon or, or longer at times, obviously not the entire time, but, you know, you're, you're out there with them, feeding balls, hitting with them, you know, working on technique, working on strategy. And uh, it's a lot of, especially, you know, on both sides, it's a lot of talking through their, their mindset where they are psychologically and you really have to put a lot of time into it. And I think there's, I think the coaching now in college is is way better than it was, you know, 15 years ago even, but I think there's a lot of coaches that come in and say, okay, we just have to roll the balls out and we're not going to have a lot, a lot to do besides that. But it's really a full-time job. It's a a full commitment to these, these players, uh, both on and off the court to make sure that they're going to improve um, and enjoy themselves these over the course of four years.
0: So if a recruit is looking for a program with a coach that is focused on helping her develop further, Mm -hmm. what questions can she ask to determine if, if she's looking even in the right direction, you know, she's talking to the right schools?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think, I, w- I would want, if, if I was a, a player, I'd want my coach to come visit me wherever I am and, and watch me practice. I'd want them to talk to my uh, junior coach and ask, you know, what are you, what are you guys working on? Where do you see, um, you know, player X, where do you see her game getting to? What, what do you think she needs to add in the next couple of years and kind of have that conversation of, you know, where they're falling short and where they think they need to develop? Um, because coming in, I think both parties need to know. You know, obviously the goals of the player. You know, do they want to play pro tennis? Do they? Do they just want to be the best college player they can be? But if that's the case, you can you can still become an amazing player just having, you know, being the best college player you can be as your goal. Um, But if there's a clear mindset of like, all right, I still have four years to improve, and that's my goal, then and then everyone can be on the same page. I also think a lot of it is on the is on the player. I think some of these players get to school, and they don't have a, you know, a goal of improving. I think some players they get there, and and that was their goal was to get their college scholarship, and and you know they're there just to, just to kind of cash the check and go through. um And you need to definitely be aware in the recruiting process of you know what kind of player you want there, and. And uh, it's, it's definitely, it's a, it's a hard recruiting is very hard. And that's why it's getting so competitive uh, across the board.
0: Well, you guys do a really good job of recruiting and signing American players. I mean, your team mm-hmm. is almost entirely American. Right? How, how do you do that? Because, I mean, you know, all the chatter that goes on around, you know, especially on the men's side where there are only four and a half scholarships and how right. tough it is for the U.S. boys to get a piece of that and right. even, you know, get a spot on in the lineup, much less get money.
1: Right. Yeah, I mean, I think it's I mean, to be to be honest, it's definitely easier at a place like Duke, especially on the women's side to attract the top. American talent. I mean, it's a great academic institution. Uh, historically, we've been we've been very good at tennis, and obviously, continue to, to do so. Um, so, it's easy to attract the top American talent at schools like Duke and USC and Cal and Stanford and Michigan and, and your you know your big brand academic institutions. Um, but at these other schools, you know, I was at Oklahoma State for two years which is a great, uh, obviously a great athletic school, great tennis. And, and we had a great successful run there, but you're not going to attract the top American kids just because most of them come from a background where their parents are going to say, you know, you need to strive for the best academically that you possibly can. Um, and it's tough to beat. you're not going to beat top tier American kids with second tier American kids. And I think that's what coaches have figured out. And, you know, when, when you're getting, you know, now the salaries are going up and up on the, on the, on both sides, you know, if you have a coach getting paid, you know, $200,000 here and their job is on the line, they're not just going to take an American kid for the sake of taking an American kid. They're going to find the best foreigner they can. If that's, if that's all that's available. I think, I think that's what you're kind of seeing. I think that's the trend. I also think there's a reason for it. You know, obviously I'm a, I'm, a, I, I'm an advocate for American tennis and I, I want more Americans to play college tennis. But I think a lot of times you see foreigners coming in, and it's not just their level that's better because I think a lot of times the level can be the same. But I think mentally they are just a little bit hungrier at times and a little bit more professional in terms of how they prepare um, for each day, which is just little things. And I think the culture overseas. Is different than it is here. I think a lot of these kids have been told since they were 12 that if you're a professional tennis player. This is how you're going to act, and that difference is pretty noticeable once they get to school. Uh, in their mindset, you know, they're not distracted by a lot of different things in the the party environment and stuff like that. So, you know, there's a lot of reasons why coaches are going foreign. I don't think it's it's obviously right all the time, but there is uh, there's a reason behind it. That's for sure.
0: It's funny because I, I've heard coaches saying that exact thing for years now, mm-hmm. you know, that the, the kids outside the States come in, they're, they're more mature. They're not necessarily better ball strikers, but you know, but, they yeah, they handle yeah. all of the other stuff better. Um, and it's funny because in my experience, I have mm-hmm. seen definitely, some of that, but I've also seen the opposite. I've seen the right. the kids coming from overseas who get the scholarship. And like you said, they're just looking to, to cash the check to pay for school. Right. And right. you know, that's all they care about and they jump right into the party scene. So I think, right. Right. I think there is both. And I think, sure. you know, we're maybe doing our American kids a disservice by sure. saying that, you know, the, the international kids are better prepared psychologically or whatever for, for the college experience. I, I don't necessarily agree with that. I think there are definitely some and,
1: and I really, think it's also like a culture that has to be set at each, at each program. I mean, obviously you look at, you look at Ty Tucker at Ohio state on the men's side, and he has a full American squad that, and he's had it for years, for, for 15 years now, they've been you know, top five in the country, top 10 in the country, every single year, he runs a, uh, you know, a no BS (laughs) type program, you know, it's very, it's very, it's very cut and dry. And these kids know what to expect coming in. But I think, I mean, I think in general, and we can get to this topic in terms of the kind of coaches that these administrations are hiring, I think needs to be better as well.
0: Well, let's, let's dig into that. What do you yeah, mean by I mean,
1: that? I mean, if you look uh, across the board, I think on the men's and women's side, I mean, you have a lot of, a lot of uh, administrations just hiring great former players you know, that were you know, great at their school, their alma maters, or you know, they were former pros or X, Y, Z. And you know, it, I don't necessarily think that the best player is always the best coach. You know, there, there's obvious examples of that. You know, I I mean Ty was a great player himself and he's proven to be an unbelievable coach. But I think in, in football and basketball and all these in all these sports, you have you have people that, you know, maybe weren't the best player in their sport. They've just been grinding through the coaching ranks for twenty years. They have, you know, a master's degree in psychology. They they uh, they've really gone through the ranks of earning their stripes and, and realizing how to build a culture, uh, how to hold ki- kids accountable, um, you know, how to do all the little things that aren't just the X, X's and O's. And I think in tennis, you know, we've missed that a little bit because I think administrations, quite frankly, don't, they don't care as much, you know, we just, you know, we have a tennis opening and we need to get filled. And I don't think they, they really dive into the quality candidates that are out there to, to fill these positions because um, I think if the quality of coaches were better, I think you'd see uh, a quality, uh, a college tennis that was, was better for sure.
0: Well, I mean, you have to admit that the fact that tennis is a non-revenue sport likely plays pretty heavily into that and you know, we're not bringing money into the school in their minds, which this is another one of my pet peeves. Like, if you want tennis to bring money into the school, then you need to have teams that will produce alums that are going to donate back to the school. Right. So, I mean, you look at what Mark Hurd's done at Baylor and it's just mind boggling. I mean, the man has given millions and millions of dollars to that program. Um, you know they. I mean, they've got a former national championship coach leading the men's program now, and I, I mean, it's just—it's yeah, I mean, mind blowing. I mean, if you
1: look, and it's—and I think it's things have changed, though. I mean, uh, I don't—I don't know the exact numbers, but I mean, just on the women's side alone, there there are many head coaches over two hundred thousand dollars a year, and I know that's not the multi-million dollar figures that are in, in football and basketball, but. These are significant amounts of money, and the recruiting budgets are huge. Travel budgets are huge. I mean, USC, you know, spent a lot of money to take both their men's and women's programs to Australia. So, yeah, it, it's definitely not chump change out there. And and I think you know, um, Chris Young at Oklahoma State, my my former boss, and we had a great two years there. I mean, he has done an excellent job making sure that tennis is, is kind of self-sustainable. And you know. Going out and speaking in the community, uh, making sure that the Stillwater community is 100% behind tennis, and he was able to, you know, get donors like the Greenwoods to come in there and, and build a 17 million dollar facility, and and uh, and also donate to you know a, a big foundation account to help with other things. So, I think these departments are pretty short-sighted yes. in how they're looking at tennis because. there's plenty of tennis people out there that want to get behind a good product and that want to see kids do well in school and, and have a good experience and and be competitive. And in every community, you know, tennis is, is, it's still a wealthy sport. You you know, you go to the country clubs and, you know, there's still a lot of lawyers and doctors and, and, and very wealthy businessmen that want to get behind a good product and want to get behind tennis and if you have coaches that are very charismatic and, and want to get, get out in the community, I think tennis 100% can, can make money and athletic departments don't even have to worry about it. Mm-hmm.
0: As a young coach, I mean, you said you're 30 years old, um, you've already spent several years in coaching. How important is it for a coach just starting out to have a mentor? to, to help him or her kind of learn the ropes and develop a coaching style?
1: Uh, that's a good question. Uh, for me, uh, like I've been, I've been coached by a lot of good coaches my entire life. Uh, I was, you know, in Florida and, and kind of over my years at, at SC at Purdue, wherever, I mean, you, you kind of, you immerse yourself in the tennis world with a lot of good coaches. I had Andy Brandy down at, down at Everett Academy and, and countless other, you know, names, but I think you learn from how you were coached one, um, in, once you get into coaching yourself, I mean, obviously you learn, you learn from both experiences. You learn from the play. I think you learn from the players a lot. I think you have to be open-minded that your players can teach you as well. Um, and I think you learn both from, you know, if you're an assistant coach, you, you learn, learn both what to do and what not to do from your, from your boss. Um, you know, I, I've had, um, uh, three, you know, head coaches now that I, I've learned from and, and you can kind of pick and choose from each one what you think is going to be most beneficial to you once you lead your own program. I, uh, to be honest, I've never been someone to say, you know, this is my, my mentor. I, I, I look up to them so much. I think, I, I don't know. I just, I just have never been like that i i always want to bring my own style but i also i also respect everyone i've worked with and i do want to you know i i think i can learn and have learned a ton from every single person um that I, i've worked with i don't know if that answers your question no completely. it does
0: i mean i uh, i was just thinking about the fact that you know you come out of school you go to work for babelot um mm-hmm which is, you know, a a great job, but it's not coaching. And then you, you take a coaching job, never having coached before. There's no formal training that college coaches go through. There's no degree. There's no um, certification that, designates you as a master college coach, (laughs) you know, it's, it's a on the job learning experience. And also, as you mentioned, taking your experiences from your years as a junior player and training and your own college experience. But.
1: I mean, one thing I've definitely, and and Peter Smith actually said this to me. I remember my, my freshman year, he said, you know, most of, of everything in life is about relationships and how you treat people and, and how you, kind of move along and and obviously in the coaching world i think building relationship with your players with other coaches is is the most important part i mean especially i i forget the quote or who said it but um you know your players don't care what you know until they know that you care right um and and that's kind of been a, a big thing for me um in my my journey so far you know they need to know that you're very committed that you do care that you don't care about them just for the wins that they they put on the court, but that that you care about them as a person and you know stuff in their family life and all of that. Um, and I think that's a a huge part. But you're right. I mean, we don't. I, I went into Wisconsin not knowing anything about uh, college coaching and, uh, and and coaching in general. But you know, you you learn as you go along. I did a summer um, working with the USTA during their uh, shadow program, and I got to travel with Kathy Rinaldi for part of the summer and then ended up going with, with Ali risk uh, for the last month and a half of, of her summer into the U S open. And I just think the more, the more people you're around and you can see how professionals act and try to do the right thing and, and kind of stick to your core values. You're going to grow as a person. And, and then obviously as a coach, um, because I think, I mean, coaching for me, is just about motivating players to be the best they can be um because obviously when you when you see a player push through something that they didn't think they can get through that's that's the reward um because obviously we're not getting paid extremely well yet and and, and all of these other things so um I, I i obviously don't have a mentor but i have a lot of good friends in coaching and uh and we definitely bounce ideas off of each other all the time and uh, i think as long as you have a passion for it and care then you're really going to learn everything you need as you go along.
0: Yeah. I mean, I've said this a million times. I am continuously blown away at the camaraderie that exists among college coaches on both the men's Mm -hmm. and the women's side. And, you know, even when you coach at rival schools, there is a level of respect, a level of, you know, friendship. And, and I, I don't even know the words to use with it, but it's Mm -hmm. so cool to see, especially when you go to like the NCAAs and, you know, all the coaches are there, you go to a big recruiting event, you know, like one of the junior slams or nationals or whatever, and see all the coaches hanging out and Mm -hmm. chatting. And the fact that, you know, a coach may watch a kid and realize that kid's not right for her program, but she'll call another coach and say, Hey, I saw this, this kid that I think would be a great fit for you. And, you know, there's a lot of that that goes on in college coaching that I think is, is pretty unique. Um, yeah. So for somebody like you that, you know, in my mind, you're very young. Um, Mm -hmm. it's, it, there's a lot of opportunity to watch and learn and absorb. And, you know, as you're making your way up the career ladder and in college coaching, which I think is really cool. Let's, let's shift gears a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. I want to really talk more about recruiting and okay. uh, this whole notion of PSAs not knowing what they don't know <laughs> and, <laughs>
1: okay.
0: and, and how the kids can do better and how the parents can do better through the recruiting process to make sure that they're winding up in a place that's a, a good fit. Not necessarily the fit, because right. you know. You're,
1: yeah, there probably isn't one, right? Yes. Yeah. Um. I mean, I, I just just thinking about it. Actually, as we were talking about some other things, I think where the problem lies a lot of times is the fact that both the kid and the coach, the college coach, ha- have one have one goal in mind in this process, right? We're trying are trying to sign a kid and they're trying to get get to the university and a lot of times both are trying to get there as fast as possible and I think that's where the the danger lies you know I, I think it's the same in in um uh, in in anything in life like my, my first job at at Babelot, for example you know when when I when I was offered the salary when I was offered the conditions it was just like okay yeah I'm in you know, and and there was no further questions when I got there, and and the moving expenses weren't quite what what was promised over the phone, and you know the hours weren't what they said they were going to be or, or X Y and Z. You know, then then for the next job you're like, okay, now I can ask these questions. But then the third job you're like, oh, there's questions from the first one I didn't ask. You know, so I, I think, right. unfor- I mean, un- unfortunately, uh, a little bit of it is, I mean, I. I there should, maybe there should be a checklist that all these kids, they ask a certain amount of, a certain type of question, you know, where am I going to play in the lineup? Uh, what, what are, I mean, what are practices like how I, I mean, what, what do you think the solution is to it?
0: Well, That's I mean, I, I, yeah, I think exactly what you're saying. And I think we've certainly, you know, talked about the questions that that the kids need to be asking and that the parents need right. to be asking. And, um, you know, we have UTR as a tool now and and to me people who aren't using that you know that tool on on the UTR website where you can type in your own UTR and it'll pull up a list of schools where your UTR would be in the top six. I, I think that's such a great starting point for college recruiting, right um, I agree. yeah, it's no guarantee just because your UTR falls within their, top six doesn't mean you're necessarily going to play, but at least you're going to be talking to schools where you have a shot. And, you know, it's, it's a great jumping off point, but then to ask the question point blank, where do you see me in your lineup? Now I I will say Matt, and I, I think you'll agree with me. Not every coach is going to answer that question, honestly.
1: Correct. No, you're right. I mean, I think we do, I think we do a good job of that, but I, and and sometimes you, sometimes you're not able to answer it accurately. I mean, if, I mean, there's, there's, there are all different kinds of recruits. I think sometimes a kid comes in and you're like, all right, in your mind, at 100%, you're going to play top three, you know, like you're a number one recruit in the country. You're obviously going to come in and play. Um, and then you have another kid who's, you know on the cusp that they're going to be fighting for that five six spot i think we always tell them that you know you're 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 probably going to be around you know in the mix to fight for a spot but it's nothing's guaranteed you're going to get all the opportunities you're going to play every single fall event you know we're going to see how you do in practice against the other girls and you know if, if you're winning matches and it's it's clear that you belong in the lineup you're going to be in the lineup um but I don't know if that happens at, at every place or, or whatnot. Um, but it is, it is something that these kids just need to, to do their research on. You know, if they need to look, you know, are, are all eight girls playing in the lineup every year? You know, are they, are they moving things around? Is it just six girls playing? Um, is it, you know, a, a, is, is it more seniors that are playing in the lineup each year or is he allowing freshmen to get in or, or what what's going on? But um I don't know if there's there's an exact science to it, but these kids do. I, my advice for a lot of these kids who, who do want to play um, and they, they want to play every week would be to go to a school where you know you're going to play in the top three. I
0: was going to say, because then it, you know that even if the coach gets some star recruit, it's not going to knock you out of the lineup.
1: Correct. I mean, if you're, if you're really wanting to play match matches each week and you want to get better and, and the only way to get better is by playing in competition. I mean, you could, you could practice as much as you want with the best players, but the only way you're going to, you know, get in those real match situations and handle the nerves and and compete under pressure is competing under pressure. And I think kids need to be realistic with themselves. You know, I need to get to a place where I'm going to be top three. I'm going to get matches every single week because it's hard. And once you're at a place, let's say you go to a place where you think you're going to play five or six and your freshman year, you are seven, eight and you don't play one match. Everyone else on the team has played 30 matches and you're just you're watching. It's really hard to ever come back from that. Right. You know, to first of all, like just to feel comfortable in a match situation, it's very hard after taking a year off from not from not doing it. And I I think these kids need to be to think about that going in. That's for sure.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, the stats of if you didn't, if you weren't in the lineup, your freshman year, your chances (laughs) of being in the lineup sophomore, junior, senior year are slim to none. And, you know, people, I think don't don't want to look at the numbers, but the numbers don't lie. <laughs> I mean, the numbers right. are, they are fact. And um, I think it's really important to look at that. I, you know, I also wonder about like the summer before coming in as a freshman. I know that some programs are really good about. Sending out, you know, what they expect of the incoming freshman. Right. This is what we want you to be doing. This is how many matches you mm-hmm. should get in. This is how, what you should be doing in the gym or on the track. And, mm-hmm. um, but not every program does that. And right. that's another one of those things that I feel like if the recruits ask for that information, and they mm-hmm. don't get it from the coach, that's that's a red flag to me. That yeah, you're right you know, that something's off. Or if the coach says, Oh, you know, you just keep doing what you're doing. You're looking great. That's another red flag because as you and I were talking offline, some of these kids get to school freshman year and they are just in total shock at the intensity of the workouts sure. on the court and sure. off the court. So can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I think, I think I was, I was right there as well. I was shocked with how intense everything was with, first of all, the amount of hours, you know, 20 hours doesn't seem like a lot but at that intensity. It definitely is. And when you put, uh, you know, being away from home and and worrying about your own, your own studies, your own, you know, transit to and from places, cooking some of your own meals, all of that, it, it adds a lot. But for us in terms of the training regimen, I think we're very open with, our players coming in, you know, we tell them exactly kind of there's our weekly schedule and, and most, most kids do ask that, you know, what, what is your typical week look like? And we tell them, and, and when, when we get kids here on visits, um, they do meet with our strength coach. Uh, he goes over, you know, everything they do. He does send home, uh, stuff for them when they do commit and, and they, they come for the um su- uh, before they come stuff that they, they could do in the summer and all of that. um, so that information's out there, but I, I do. And, and even we have kids come in like, and they watch our team workout. Um, and, and they'll sit through the whole hour workout and see the, the intensity of it and they'll watch practice. And, and I think that's an important part of it because a lot of the kids get here and, and even the kids coming, you know, we'll, we'll talk about, I remember at, at Oklahoma state, we had a girl come in, uh, who, was 800 WTA and, and a professional tennis player in her mind. And, you know, she was like, Oh, I, I've been working so hard back home. I'm going to be ready when I come in. And, you know, the first month she looked exhausted after every single practice and every single workout. Um, and she's like, I thought I was doing everything, you know, like a pro. And then I come here and it's completely different. Um, so I don't know if I've gone on the tangent, but I do think <laughs> that, uh, I don't know. I, I think I think in general, in the recruiting process, we as coaches need to be a lot more direct. We need to not tell these kids how great they are, and and kind of tell them the reality that when they get here, that that it's it's not over once they get here. That it's just the beginning, and it's going to be very hard, and they're going to have a lot of commitment, and there's you know they're going to be held accountable, and um, it's it's not it's not easy. Uh, chasing after a dream and chasing after a goal. Like you're going to have to put in a lot of hard work and it's not just fun. And and I think a lot of kids aren't uh, completely ready for that when they get to school.
0: Right. And now that we've got this uh, new ITF world tennis tour and, and I mean at Duke you, you guys definitely get players that are looking to take their tennis beyond college. Right. I know it's new and I know we're all still trying to figure out the impact that it's going to have, but what are you hearing so far on the women's side? Cause we hear, I mean, there've been a lot of the the male players that have been pretty outspoken about it, but we're, sure. we're not getting as much on the female side. And I'm just wondering what you're hearing as a college coach.
1: Um, I mean, I have, obviously it's still in the, it's not in the testing period, but in terms mm-hmm. of what we're hearing, we don't know the exact, uh, uh, you know, result of it all for us as college coaches and college programs. Um, but I don't know if it's changed things so much. I mean, I think there's still concern like there was before, whether, when a kid comes to school, you know, are they going to lose certain rank ranking points by not playing enough? Um, are they, are they going to get enough, you know, if they do come to school, are they going to be able to play enough tournaments? Are we going to allow that? Um, and I think that's a concern with this before and, and even now. Um, in my mind, one of the things that the ITF transition tour has done has caused more. I think will cause more kids to play junior tennis events, um, to play the Grand Slams, and and play the you know the ITF Junior Tour, because uh, a lot of kids were just kind of foregoing that and playing pro right away. But with you know a certain amount of spots in these events for top 100. Junior players, I think it gives them that gap to, you know, play junior tennis and then have have that ranking be used for another year. Um, I mean, in my my philosophy has always been like, if if you're top 200 in the world before school, then you should probably go on tour and and, and give it a shot. If you're not, you know, I think you can develop in college, and there's probably a reason you're not there yet. Um, But I, I think. I think a lot of these kids don't in my mind if you're gonna if you're gonna be a top 100 player in the world and, and make a living playing pro tennis eventually you need to get to a certain level and it's not going to matter whether you go to college or not you know mm-hmm. if you go to college you can become t- if you're going to get to that level and, and even if it's after your freshman year sophomore your junior year or whatever if you're if you're at that level a college coach would be crazy to say you know i really think you should come back it's it's going to be beneficial to you If it, if it wasn't, you know, if you're ready to play in the slams and win, by all means, go out there and do it. Uh, I think a lot of these, some kids coming up are, are delusional to the fact that it's very hard out there and they, they need a lot of improvements and they need to improve physically and mentally and, and work on things. And I think college gives you the perfect background to do, or the perfect opportunity to do that. I mean, the resources are all here, um, I just hope kids see that. But back to your question, I have no idea what the transition tour will do. I, 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 that was
0: a long way of saying I have no idea.
1: I mean, I hope, I hope, I, I hope kids, I hope kids come to school still. I, I know there's a lot of college coaches that think it's going to hurt us and hurt the level. Um, I mean, in the short term, on the men's side, I, I don't think it has. I mean, there's a ton of top three, four, five hundred players in the world currently in school. Um, but uh, who, who knows? I mean, I, I think more. Yeah. Who knows?
0: <laughs> who knows? Sorry. Yeah. Well, so one of the conversations I've had recently is about this whole idea of um, the college players taking time to go play professional events during the school year. And right. typically that happens in the fall, but we see it happening more and more in the spring now, too. What are your thoughts on that as a coach when one of your team members says, hey, um, I'm going to miss practice this week or I'm going to miss three matches, three dual matches this week because I'm going to play this pro event in, you know, South America?
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, for us, so we, we had a we have a player right now, Maria Mateus, who played uh, and Kelly Chen, also played pro events in the fall uh, mixed with college events um, as well. And, you know, I, I, I think it was beneficial, uh, for both of them to see where they're at. And for us, we, we, we don't let anyone in the spring play pro events. It's not something that we do. I mean, so, I mean, we wanted to play every single, it's a, it's a dual match season. You're supposed to be here for your team. And and I think that's kind of our philosophy on it. Um, and how, how we've treated it so far, uh, in terms of, it at other programs I mean I, I I don't know if I can't really comment on it I mean I know like Wake Forest allow, allow, last year allowed guys to go play pro events during the year and it was kind of understood that you know if, if they dropped a match because of it or whatever that it was okay because their long-term goal was to win a championship and hopefully that would get them there and and it did so I, I can't say that's wrong either um but my personal philosophy is that if you're going to come to school and you want to play for the team and you're going to give it all for, for trying to win a title or, you know, if making Sweet 16 is your goal or whatever it may be, that, that you play for the team and you're there for the team. And, and that's the most important thing.
0: Yeah. And is that a question that a recruit would ask ahead of time?
1: Yes. Yes. I think, especially nowadays, I mean, a lot of, a lot of programs are offering, you know, come to school for one year. And, uh, if you decide to go pro, we'll honor, honor, uh, scholarship for whenever you come back. And I think a lot of, uh, the pro tournament questions are asked ahead of time and, and the answers are given in writing. And, and, uh, yeah, I definitely think those questions are asked.
0: Hmm. Interesting. Well, mm-hmm. we've got about ten minutes left, Matt. So okay. I want to I want to just make sure we cover everything that you wanted to cover because this whole conversation came about uh, after some Twitter back and forth and yeah. <laughs> texting back and forth. And yeah. um, you know, I was really excited that you wanted to come on the podcast and and talk to the parents out there. Um, as a college coach yourself, as a former collegiate player, I think you know, your insights are, are really very helpful.
1: Thank you. Yeah, no, I, um, definitely, we've definitely talked a lot. I, I I'm happy to talk about anything, any other questions you may have. I think, uh, we covered a lot of, a lot of good ground and, uh, and any parent that's listening, if, uh, obviously I'm on Twitter, my email is out there. So if they ever have any questions, um, I'd be happy to, uh, to answer, answer any of them. That's for sure great
0: and i'll put links to that in the show notes on parentingaces.com okay. so those of you guys listening that that have questions for matt um, you'll be able to just click and and email him or tweet at him i guess i you know where i'd like to finish up this conversation matt is is this whole idea of getting recruiting right and okay. you know positioning yourself as a prospective student athlete to make the best choice of schools as a freshman. So you don't have to go through the stress of transferring. And I can tell you as a parent, having a child that went through the stress of transferring is no picnic on this side either. Right. And I mean, besides the financial stress of it, you know, and the logistical stress and academic stress, yeah. and you know, there's just a lot that goes into transferring. It's not yeah. just a matter of saying, I'm not happy here. I'm going to try going there next year, next right.
1: year. Um, I mean, I- I think, one. I mean, to think about it again, I think one problem in, in, I don't know if it's in tennis or in every other sport as well, I think these kids want to go to a certain academic school or, or school in general that, especially the American kids that meet, you know, what their parents have in mind, you know, for them academically and, and fitting up to a certain standard But, and sometimes, you know, they pick school X because they really want to go there, but maybe the coach there isn't right for them. And I think they really need to realize that tennis is going to be, you know, if tennis is their main priority, and that's going to be something that, you know, takes up a lot of their time and and might, um, you know, uh, have a lot to do with their happiness during their four years, they really need to make sure that coach that they're going to and, and the team that they're joining and all this stuff is is kind of more important than, than the school and I think that's where a lot of kids fall short um
0: but the problem they, is coaches move I mean you've moved right? that,
1: that as well for sure
0: and that's that's for a sure. big issue and you have no idea I mean that's exactly what happened with my son you know he mm-hmm. committed um Uh, you know, knowing that the head coach was this person and the assistant coaches were these people and he loved the assistants and lo and behold, they both left the summer before he started his freshman year. So, you know, this stuff happens all the time.
1: For sure. I mean, I think, I think obviously going somewhere where you're more comfortable with the head coach would be, uh, would be a place to start just because um, obviously assistants do, do come and go a little bit more than the head coach. Um, but yeah, it, it obviously isn't, isn't an exact science. Um, obviously being, being comfortable with the teammates too. I mean, I remember on my recruiting trip to SC, most of the guys I hung out with on their recruiting trip weren't there when I, when I got there, there were a lot of seniors that actually Mm -hmm. graduated. So it was kind of a completely new dynamic, um, once, once I entered. So that, that's a huge, huge part of it too, making sure that, uh, you're comfortable with the players on the team and that you can see yourself having you know, meaningful relationships and friendships with those, those people um, because they're the ones you can spend most of your time with. And obviously, you know, kids that, uh, you know, may or may not feel comfortable being close to home, you know, if, if that's something that's important to you, then then you need to factor that in as well uh, and make sure that, you know, you have um, a support system around you that you feel that you can thrive in And uh, it's it's definitely something to be aware of going into it.
0: And those are questions that you can ask of the existing teammates too, you know, like, I mean, you know, what, what's, what's the vibe around here? I mean, is this yeah. a, you know, a touchy feely kind of team where we all hang right. out together and, right. you know, go bowling or <laughs> you know play right, video right. games after practice, or is this right. the kind of group where we're together on the court and then we don't see each other, you know, right. the rest of the time. And, and I think that's, um, You know, you can get some really good information, both from the existing team members and also reaching out to people that did graduate a year or two ahead, um, you know, to see what they have to say. Because a lot of times the recent graduates will give you much more honest feedback than the current team members.
1: Yeah, I agree with you 100% on that.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, Matt Manassi, it's been awesome talking with you. I'm really glad we connected <laughs> and, um, so, I hope you'll me. come back and your, your team is off to a great start. Um, and I'm looking forward to watching your progress over the course of the spring season and, uh, you know, great job. I mean, enjoy it.
1: <laughs> Thank you. I really appreciate you having me on and, uh, yeah, I definitely look forward to coming back at some point and, uh, yeah, if anyone has any questions, I'm definitely here to here to help. So thank you so much again for having me on.
0: Fantastic. And to okay. my audience, thank you so much for tuning in. We will catch you next time on Parenting Aces. I'm Lisa Stone and you've been listening to the Parenting Aces podcast for tennis parents by a tennis parent. If you like what you've heard, I hope you'll share the podcast with your tennis community. The For all the information you need to navigate the junior and college tennis journey, be sure to check out parentingaces.com.